What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. We are all fiercely passionate about holding Bitcoin, but it is an undeniable fact that almost all of us still ponder in the back of our heads where the price is really going. Some traders prefer to come up with their own predictions. Others seemingly enjoy reading crystal balls or using astrology charts. Arguably, the most popular model ever is Stock to Flow, created by Plan B, today's guest. This famous predictive model has been utilized by analysts worldwide and has become one of the most famous tools for interpreting Bitcoin's price action. I can't wait to learn more about his models and where he thinks we are at in the current cycle. Plan B, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Scott, thank you for having me. So before we get into the questions, you are listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, which airs twice a week. I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. This podcast is powered by Blockworks, the fastest growing media company in the digital asset space. Blockworks has 20 Bitcoin and crypto podcasts. I'm excited to be a part of the network. You can visit them at blockworks.co to check them out. And every you can find everything else about me at thewolfofallstreets.io. Now to get into today's episode. Listen, one of the most common questions I get asked and ask us is where we are at in this cycle. You probably know better than anyone else. So I know this is a tough question, but would you mind sharing what your current thoughts are on this? Sure. Yeah. Short answer, I think we're uh, somewhere halfway. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm very data driven, so I, I don't make that up, but I, I read it in the data. Uh, of course, data can be read and interpreted in different ways, but I look, of course, to, uh, my stock to flow models, the stock to flow model and the stock to flow X model, which, uh, was the later model, um, as, as most of you uh, probably know. And, and both models actually show that we're certainly not at the end of the cycle, that uh, we still have some, some room to go until, well, 100,000 on average or 288,000 on average if you, if you follow the stock-to-flow-X model. Um, but it's not only the stock-to-flow models that I look at. Uh, I also look at on-chain uh, data and um I make my own unchained indicator. So I don't use uh, the Glassnode or Coinmetrics data, which is awesome, by the way, but I um, extract all the data from, from my node and, and crunch it. And if you look at the unchained data, which is a, a, a treasure for uh, uh, making signals and, and picking up patterns, if you look at that unchained data, it is very clear that uh, we're somewhere halfway with a... Uh, uh, shortage in coins uh, building up um, until levels that was, yeah, well, exactly, actually exactly half uh, of the levels and the shortage levels uh, in 2017 and 2013. So I'm, from those two angles, pretty sure that we haven't seen uh, the top yet. Although, of course, I have to put in a disclaimer, it's all crystal ball here. Uh, markets yep. should not be predictable. So... Um, yeah, either this on-chain data and the model gives gives some insights, or um, I could be wrong, of course. But um, yeah, no, for me, it's pretty clear. When you're talking about on-chain data that you're comparing to previous cycles, are you talking about exchange outflows? Are you talking about you know how many whale wallets there are holding a certain amount of Bitcoin? What kind of data are you looking at on-chain? Yeah, it, it's. Um, it's, it's exactly what you say. What you can see online, of course, are all the transactions and all the UTXOs. So I look at the stock of UTXOs that's out, that's out there. So how is these uh, 80.7 million Bitcoins that are out there, how are they distributed over the years? Are, are, are there old coins? How many uh, new coins? Uh, are they big coins or, or small uh, addresses? Is it from known addresses like miners, for example, you know, all the minor addresses, exchanges, you know, the addresses, and there's lots more addresses that you know, whole libraries of uh, entities that we know the addresses from. So, yeah, you can also from um, with algorithms, you can cluster certain um, transactions in a way. For example, if there's lots of inputs and, and, and only one output, that's a certain kind of transaction. If right. there are lots of inputs and lots of outputs, say thousand inputs, thousand outputs in a transaction, that's a certain kind of transaction. So you can uh, categorize transactions as well, even if you don't know exactly what they are. And well, from all those patterns, you can you can see well. Oh, wait, you, you can you can, for example, see who's selling, uh, or if they're old coins or new coins, and 
and what, what kind of entity sort of they come from. So yeah, that, that's basically what I do. I count um, transactions from a certain kind in the stock of the UTXOs that's out there now, but also in the flow of uh, the outputs that are spent last month. So you can you can look look at all the outputs that are spent and see hey who was selling and I'm particularly interested in that. So who's selling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the difficulty is that uh, I have I have two main indicators and they are proprietary, so I can't right. can't tell you anything uh, about those. But um, yeah, of course, the weekends are selling, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And, and people taking profit. So I see both, um, um, especially the people that are that have entered the market a couple of months ago. They're looking at three, four, five x uh, profits. And well, if you're in the Bitcoin market for a couple of years, that might seem like an obvious and uh, normal thing. But for a normal investor, a traditional investor that got in in Q4 uh, 2020. Um, that is an amazing thing to see. To yeah. see five x returns. Yeah. So they they will, you know, they're they're human. They, they take the profit. They want to see if it's real. Take the money and run, so to speak. So, yeah. do you think that we are seeing supply side shock on exchanges, and do you think that that's increasing? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't particularly follow the exchanges that much, although although I follow the work that Willie Wu and uh, mm -hmm. Clementa are doing there, of course. Um, but yeah, I always have that feeling that they have other addresses as well, like uh, cold uh, storage or, or, or um, addresses that are not known to the algorithms. Uh, sure. So I, don't, I, 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 find that I don't find them very, very uh, reliable for enough for trading. But, um, but I do see the shortage on-chain as well, not only on the exchanges, but also on-chain. So the, the, the shortage is, is real, and it's building and building and building. It has been building for months now and accelerating since uh, December. So I would love to hear, I'm sure you've told the story many times before, but how you initially developed the stock-to-flow model. Like I said, it's become universally known. Everybody in the Bitcoin space refers to it, uses it. I'm sure there's people who tell you it's terrible because we all know that the, it's never one-sided, but how did you develop it in the first place? Yeah, so because my background is institutional investor um, and and as an institutional investor, you always need a fundamental model. And of course, for stocks, we have it, discounted cash flow models, the same for um, fixed income uh, instruments or derivatives. It's, it's all based on cash flows. But um, as soon as you go to commodities, for example, gold uh, has the same problem as Bitcoin. There is no cash flow and there is not right. a yeah, well, how, how do you value such a, such an asset? And uh, for Bitcoin, there wasn't really much out there. Uh, a lot of technical analysis, of course, uh, which I'm very familiar with, but but not fundamental um, valuation model. So I try to make um, a valuation model, uh, just come up with one, a very simple one, and um, based on, well, uh, ratios, metrics that I knew from the commodities investing world. So stock to flow ratio, uh, the amount that's out there above ground from for gold divided by the supply of gold, which is about 60. Uh, so the stock to flow ratio of gold is, is 60 years of production above ground. That is a very well-known measure to to measure the uh, well scarcity, in fact, of uh, of a commodity. You can do it for platinum and palladium, silver, etc. So that was my first thing, but to look at because um, I thought that the, the one thing that makes Bitcoin attractive for me as an investor at the time and still, by the way, is its scarcity. The fact that there is only twenty-one million um, coins ever. Um, and nobody, really nobody can change that, can, can increase the supply. So the scarcity is the key thing that drives the value. And, and how do you measure scarcity? Well, stock-to-flow ratio was a well-known measure. So from there, I just um, did one and one is two. I, I, I got the stock-to-flow um, ratio over time from Bitcoin and plotted it against the market value of Bitcoin or the price. Uh, and if you do that on a log logarithmic scale, which is very important, if, if 
if, if you have prices like Bitcoin and, and look at a long horizon. I mean, for trading on a daily or monthly, it's not important. But if you look at it over years, very important. And well, if, if you plot stock to flow ratio and, and market value on a lock-lock scale, um, you see a straight line. And that's amazing. So, so I formalized that with a regression analysis, uh, plotted a liner through the data, and uh, and that was the model basically, which is which is interesting by the way, because it's not about the levels. The the model, uh, the mathematical way to inter- interpret the model is that a a change in stock to flow leads to a, a proportional change in the uh, in the value of Bitcoin. So a doubling of stock to flow leads to a 10x, for example, in uh, in value, and and that that um, that is proportional. That ratio between the changes. And, and how does the having play into the model? Yeah, the having is is crucially important because that's where the moment where the stock to flow doubles. Uh, so the stock to flow increases every day, every ten minutes, every well moment. There is a block. Um, you know, there there is more stock. And 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 um, the supply is sort of the same between um, the flow is sort of the same between uh, the halvings. But at the halving, um, yeah, the stock to flow doubles. So that delta delta is is uh, crucially important in the uh, stock to flow model. And that's exactly what you see in the data, of course, because the the price jumps, the big price jumps in Bitcoin are always um, a half to uh, one and a half years after the halving. And that could be a coincidence, right? That's what the critics uh, of sure. my model are, are are saying. They could be right. I think they're wrong. Uh, I think it's a very distinct pattern that, that the, the halvings push this uh, supply shortage and, and, and accelerate this, this trend and then lead to a, uh, yeah, a, a relatively high uh, price increase shortly after the halving. How accurate has stock to flow been looking back? <laughs> More accurate than I, I could ever dream, really, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And I think maybe we we take it too um, uh, literally because uh, it, it, it could be way more off to make it still um, valid. Uh, currently, it's, sure. it's tracking like a train. It's, it's really unbelievable. But, uh, you know, the, the, the most important thing that stock to flow... Uh, model is is predicting is that mean that that average value after a halving which is hundred mil hundred thousand dollars for the uh, stock to flow model and two hundred and eighty eight thousand for the stock to flow cross asset model but it's really that that jump to those levels and the four years um, after that halving that are for me the most important so the fact that it's tracking like a clock right now yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence either, but uh, whoa, no, it's whoa, pretty. Whoa. It's, it's pretty. It really is pretty incredible. So, what made you then? I mean, stock to flow has obviously been scary accurate. What made you develop stock to flow X, adding all these other assets into the model? Yeah, there was a discussion at the time, which was very interesting um, about uh, the stock to flow model being a time series model, and time series model means that it's only based on the. Uh, uh, so that the time series of the um, stock to flow and the time series of uh, the price of Bitcoin. And the problem with time series models is that it, they can be spurious. Uh, they can be nonsense. And there's lots of uh, correlations out there. Uh, there's lots of fun websites also with uh, examples of correlations that are there that can be measured, but that are not very uh, useful for predictions because it's nonsense. Uh, for example, uh, the Bitcoin price goes up um, on average every year and the beer consumption in the world uh, or the population <laughs> in the world goes up every year. So there will right. be a nice correlation between those two as well. And yeah, well, of course, you don't have anything uh, uh, that that's not very useful for, for prediction. But anyway, the, so the time series model was heavily debated. Um Co-integration was one of the terms because uh, co-integration is a test that you can do on time series. And if it's present, then um, the chance that a time series correlation in time series is uh, spurious is uh, is a lot less. It's it's uh, and and indeed the correlate the co-integration tests were positive, so there was co-integration. But 
the discussion continued that, well, one of the uh, time series, the stock to flow time series was deterministic. It was not random, not stochastic. So we cannot use the test. <laughs> that, that was a bummer. But another, uh, so co-integration was one way to solve it or to, to go uh, to circumvent it and to make sure it's not spurious. Another way is to um, abandon the time series world altogether. So not look at, at historical uh, Bitcoin stock-to-flow ratios and prices, but also use it, look at other assets, for example, gold, silver, and later diamonds and, uh, and real estate. And amazingly, what you see is that if you put the um, stock-to-flow of, of all those other assets and of Bitcoin, and um, I took uh, uh, four clusters of Bitcoin that I interpreted as, as different assets. Bitcoin evolved as a as a proof, proof of uh, concept asset to a, to a store of value asset to an e-gold asset, if you will. But right. if, if you look at the those those four Bitcoin clusters uh, combined with gold, silver, diamonds, and real estate, those are also on a, on a straight line. So I was very amazed uh, to find that. And uh, and so the stock to flow cross asset model has one more big advantage uh, over the stock to flow model next to the fact that it uh, it has less less chance of being spurious, and that is that uh, you can interpolate uh, because we have an asset that has a stock to flow value of sixty that's gold, and we have an asset that has a stock to flow value of a uh, hundred. Um, and that's real estate. So we can predict the value of Bitcoin to be within those uh, that that range of, of of values. So so above fifty, without extrapolating. We have those assets and those data points in our data. So we can just interpolate from the data that we have in there, and that makes it so much more um, reliable because a time series model. Well, we we cannot see in the future, so we always have to extrapolate uh, those lines, and and that is less uh, re- reliable. So yeah, I saw that question on the on on your uh, Twitter uh, <laughs> uh, on your tweet. So yeah. wh- which one does uh, Plan B prefer? And that's of course the stock to flow X model, the two hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars. That that makes a lot of sense. So I guess the big question for people is the the model's been exceptionally accurate like you said it's it's tracking like a train let's say we get to 285,000 then what happens yeah well if if it if it if it goes to that levels and and by the way i think i also think it's more likely that it goes to uh, 250 or 300k uh, levels than 100k because um if it, it, it is consistent with thinking that we're halfway into this cycle we uh, we did five x from you know when we when Bitcoin was ten k we're now at fifty k plus something uh, so that's five x so th- the jump to hundred k is so small compared to what we already have so so another five x takes us there right, right? so right. So, uh, so yeah well one thing um, the, the two hundred and eighty eight thousand is an average so um, to to have that average over the four year period. We have to be uh, far above that because right now we're far below that. Uh, so I think actually, if this scenario plays out, that we could see prices of four hundred, five hundred thousand, and then after that, uh, yeah, a, a bear market that could go as low as well, maybe hundred to two hundred thousand again. So uh, maybe even a little bit below that. But yeah. So, so, so you could see a repeated 80 to 90 or 80, 85% retracement like previous, uh, like previous cycles, because obviously, uh, in market euphoria, we start to see the, it can never go down sort of mentality. The idea of super cycles, the concept that we have an institutional floors, so they would never let it drop more than 30 or 40%, but cycles are cycles, right? That's yeah. That's exactly how I see it. I know it's a big debate at the moment that we we're going to see a super cycle, and that now the institutions are in, 
uh, we will break all models and, and there will not be cycles anymore, no bear market, or at least a, a, a less deep bear, uh, bear market. But I, I, I don't think that's true. I, I, like you said, I think there will be uh, FOMO at the top and there will be fear after it because something happens and the new people that FOMO then they will scare, they will be scared and they will sell. And, uh, and of course, the minus 80% drops are always measured from the very top, right? It's Correct. the very top is also a, well, an outlier, an outlier basically in my world. So both the very top and the very bottom are, well, I think less interesting. And the, it's the average level that's, that's very interesting. It, what's interesting is that my team actually took um, the top 20 or 30 price predictions that they could find. This was months ago and averaged them all the way from the bearish people who said 3000 to the, you know, full on moon boys up to a million. And the average was about 235,000. And, you know, there's the old parable of the ox, which says that, you know, humans are very bad at making predictions, but in a group, if you average all of the predictions, you actually get very close. And we, we got to 235. Wisdom of the crowds. Very, yeah. I, I used to work at a dealing room uh, in my early uh, days of my careers, and there were 400 traders there, mostly uh, foreign exchange. And, and that's what we did as well. We were just polling everybody and, and see what the average was. And uh, most of the times, that's pretty, pretty useful uh, indicator. So you talked about um, the idea that when you started looking at Bitcoin, scarcity was the most compelling property for you. It's what attracted you to the asset and what made you use the stock to flow model. Now we're seeing the mainstream adoption of the idea of digital gold, e-gold, gold, gold 2.0, however you want to skin it. What, what made you so interested in it that early and, and really lock in on that attribute of Bitcoin? Yeah, because it's the the one thing that Satoshi Nakamoto always mentions, and 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 basically the reason why he uh, invented Bitcoin, and and all the people before him uh, were trying to make something like Bitcoin, it was the debasement of currencies, the debasement of the dollar. Now, um, that that was the main the main cause of 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 the. Yeah, the main problem that Satoshi Nakamoto saw and that Bitcoin um, was the solution for, because uh, as long as there there has been fiat money and governments, even as far back as the Romans, uh, the governments debased their money and and uh, stole money from the population, basically. So the denarius uh, had a silver content of ninety five percent or ninety percent, uh, but it went down all the way to ten percent or something, and and that coincided with the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, of course. Of course. So um, the birth of Bitcoin in 2008, October 2008, um, when the white paper appeared, uh, that was, of course, the, the top of the uh, global financial crisis, 45 days after Lehman Brothers default and the exact week when, when, when it was published, uh, published by uh, the, the U.S. government, that they would gonna they they would they would save all the banks uh, and would be um, engaged in in quantitative easing, which is short for debasement. Um, uh, I think if Satoshi would see today what the government is doing after the COVID crisis with the trillions and trillions of dollars in uh, in stimulus and quantitative easing, he would have he would have been he would have laughed and. Uh, and uh, and seeing, yeah, well, this this is exactly what 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 Bitcoin is made for, and and you see it playing out beautifully. So uh, yeah, it it's for me it was it was clear from the start, and he Satoshi talked about it oftenly. So so listeners who who don't know this, um, all Satoshi's emails and forum posts are available in a book, but also on uh, NakamotoInstitute.org. You can read it. It's it's like a thriller. It's amazing. And that's crazy. It, that guy was so smart. Yeah, it, really incredible. So speaking of printing trillions and trillions and trillions, your Twitter name is not actually Plan B, your handle, right? It's 100 trillion USD. Can you talk about <laughs> why you named yourself 100 trillion USD? Absolutely. It, it was exactly to point towards the debasement that the Zimbabwe government, of course, did also in 2008, by the way. 
so a one uh, one Zimbabwe dollar was well approximately uh, a, a, a U.S. dollar one day, but then the the Zimbabwe government for whatever they, they wanted to do, they, they, they set the printing presses on and the hyperinflation in that country destroyed the country. And the, the, the notes from, uh, from that time, the hundred trillion US or Zimbabwe dollar notes are still a collector's item. So I always have one in my, uh, in my wallet, a physical one uh, to remind me of why Bitcoin is here, what the main reason is why Satoshi made this uh, invention uh, basically and yeah, I, yeah I, so that's why I, uh, I made the uh, <laughs> Twitter handle. And I'm assuming that that gives a very obvious answer to why your name is Plan B. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I, I, I quit my job uh, in March 1. But before that, I've been 25 years into institutional investing. So I've seen quantitative easing and, and central banks uh, printing money um, from... <laughs> from very uh, uh, close. And um, yeah, I basically dealt with that every day. So I not only saw Bitcoin and, and what Satoshi and the whole group uh, of programmers and, 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 uh, and, and people before uh, Bitcoin did with that, but I also saw the, the macroeconomic context that was deteriorating uh, very fast. And, and the, yeah, the quantitative easing is, is not a good thing. Uh, of course, central bankers will say the exact opposite, but printing money through the ages has been um, has has uh, one one outcome, and that's uh, uh, clear winners for the the ones who get the money first. That's the governments and the banks and the rich people, and clear losers, and those are the normal people that uh, that get left with uh, uh, yeah, hyperinflation, basically. Guys, it's time to wake up and go earn some money. One of the most exciting use cases of crypto is both to earn yield and take low interest credit loans, especially since your actual bank is giving you Nathan Nada, nothing in interest. Nexo is leading the charge in this arena with 360 degree crypto banking services. If you're just looking to park your crypto, do nothing, earn some interest, you can make up to 12% a year by doing nothing. If you're in the market for a loan, they have them for as little as 5.9% APR and you don't have to sell any crypto, which we all know, especially in the United States, is a taxable event. Their credit lines are dynamic, which means that the value of your crypto goes up so does your available credit. Really cool and innovative and something I've never seen with any other platform before. You can check them out at thewolfofallstreets.link slash nexo, N-E-X-O, and put your crypto to work for you. Guys, this is so cool. For the first time in history, rather than a company or project sponsoring the podcast and newsletter, a grassroots community is doing it. The Cosmos community is extremely passionate and active, and because of that, cool things like this sponsorship can happen. Their Atom token has been absolutely on fire and solidified itself as a top 50 coin by market cap, and the Cosmos platform has so much in store. Now, if you don't know about them, Cosmos is effectively the port city connecting chains like Bitcoin and Ethereum to ensure your liquidity on any chain can be used anywhere. One of the things I'm most excited about is their new DEX, which is coming out, which will connect to any blockchain. So you can swap ETH, ERC20, BSC, or any other token with Atom. Plus, this DEX will have order books just like any centralized exchange, so it'll feel familiar trading just like you do anywhere that you've traded before. This is a first. It's never existed until now. You need to absolutely check them out at thewolfofallstreets.link slash cosmos, C-O-S-M-O-S, and see everything they have going on. Do you think that people just don't understand that and that's why they play into these fiat-based systems? I mean, you touched on it. There's never effectively been an, a, a successful fiat-based system, correct? I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's, built, it's literally built on debasing security and debt and screwing over the little guy in favor of the big guy. So why is that the system that's been adopted everywhere when only 40 years ago we were on a gold standard in, in my country? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a, a game that is, has been played for hundreds and thousands of years. Uh, and it works because people, most people don't know and are not interested in money. I mean, we're traders, investors. We, it's our job. It's our interest. It's our passion. But most people uh, don't like to talk about it, don't know much about it. And, uh, you know, that it, it, it also takes 
a level of interest and and curiosity and intellect to really understand it um and that in a world where a lot of people can't can't read for example and 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 also a lot of people can't are not very good in numbers so uh, for example in 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 Europe about about 50 and I think in, in America it's not non different um half of the people um uh, don't have savings so they they have yeah, like sure. uh, 500 bucks or something but if if the car breaks if 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 the freezer or the dryer breaks they're in big problems so they live paycheck by paycheck that's half of the people so they they're not busy with saving money let alone investing money and and then also half of the people do not really know what a what a percentage is so that that, that might <laughs> might amaze you but we uh, all the institutional institutions, the banks and the insurance companies, they have to put marketing material out, and they have to test that uh, f- from the regulators uh, that everybody can read it and understand it, and there's not not the small print. Uh, and one of the things that we have to uh, to keep in mind is that indeed half of the people uh, does not know what a percentage is. So, well, good luck talking about interest rates then. Right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense, but it can't be a coincidence that they also don't bother to teach us about our money. Right. Um, And you would think that money being at the center of literally everything we do. I spoke with Robert Breedlove. He had amazing points about it, but he said, you know, we even think in money and we dream in money and all of our thoughts are denominated in money, but you don't go to school and learn about your monetary system. Why is that? Yeah, it's amazing. I don't know. I don't even even when you study economics, you get re- very uh, not much about money. Not much about money. Maybe if you do financial economics and investing, you get cash flows and stuff. But but what money really is and how it's made and how the central banks work—that is a very exotic uh, part of uh, finance. And even that exotic part is um, focused on uh, on Keynes' uh, ideas right. about. Um, uh, and maybe Fisher, but but not Hayek and not uh, Nash and not uh, all the others, Mises and Rothbard. It's it's, it's very, um, uh, yeah, very focused on 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 just a few guys and just a few uh, ideas. It's interesting though because we love the meme statement in our community. Bitcoin fixes this, right? And people apply that statement to basically everything. Um, but to play devil's advocate. You know, we, we know that Bitcoin is a perfect hard money and a store of value. But if you're one of those 50% who can't afford to fix their car and lives paycheck to ch- paycheck, what can Bitcoin do for you? Yeah, good question. It, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't fix your, your cash flow problems. So you right. have to earn more than you, than you spend to, to save. And, and, and once you're at that stage, uh, then you... Um, that then Bitcoin could be a solution for for saving. Uh, of right. course, you have to have uh, some liquidity first. You you have to have this this uh, emergency uh, Fine, savings yeah. uh, account that you can use if the car breaks, and and you have to have that before you go into Bitcoin. Because of course, Bitcoin is not for everyone. I think you should invest in Bitcoin, what you're um, what you can afford and you're happy to lose. Because um, otherwise, the volatility will shake you out. So. If you're really poor, I think, I don't know if Bitcoin is, is uh, of much help. Certainly not in the first world. You know, I, I don't think if you're poor in the United States, I, I do think that you should buy your $5 worth, $10 worth, try. Um, but if you're living paycheck to paycheck, inevitably you'll need the money. But if you live somewhere like Argentina or Zimbabwe, Iran, Lebanon, Venezuela, I think that uh, when you literally can't use your own money or even access your own money, that maybe that's a case where people with lesser means can actually use and see the value of Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and but and also people with a lot of means in those countries. So if yeah, you have a lot of sure. means in uh, in Turkey, for example, or uh, Zimbabwe at the time, or, or well, all the countries you mentioned, um, Bitcoin is the solution. So even if you get eighty cents on the dollar, you're 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 saved because you're right. you have it in hard money. You can take it with you. You can leave the country, and uh, yeah, it, I, 
that's a big, big solution for, for people with means in, in countries with uh, predatory uh, governments and also in, in countries with the capital controls like China, South Africa, even uh, uh, Turkey, for example, where you cannot, even if you have the means, you cannot uh, move the money outside the country. No. That's yeah. a big problem. And uh, Bitcoin is a big solution. It's a big solution, but you have to wonder what they're going to do to try to prevent that from happening. Yes, it's a rat race since 2008, uh, I would say. Uh, it, it has been a rat race. And I think it will eventually accumulate into uh, one big battle that we're, that is still to come. I don't think governments will roll over and, no. and uh, surrender to Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm pretty yet. sure. Yeah, it's just such an interesting conversation for me, that sort of dichotomy between wealthy people who need a store of value and the poor people who could probably benefit for from Bitcoin, but they don't need a store of value because they have no value to store. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it and then it it leads to that sort of like cognitive dissonance where maybe there's an argument that Bitcoin is for wealthy people, which is not what we want to hear, right? No, and I can imagine a, a use case for remittances for uh, yeah. for for getting money into the country uh, on on a on a better in a better way in a cheaper way, a more efficient way than through the official channels that all take their uh, their P's and cut. And uh, so Bitcoin, you can just send money from right, US even if you to, even have access to those channels, right? I mean, we know that most yeah. people are unbanked or underbanked, and. I think that a really important use case, maybe for stable coins as well, uh, obviously, but you know, micropayments. It's one. Th some people literally want to send a family member ten dollars in a foreign country, right? And you yeah. literally cannot do that with fiat. Yeah, and that's that's where Bitcoin can be a big solution. Absolutely. Yeah, it's even it's even. Um, yeah, the, the the poor countries are poor for a reason, right? They're kept poor by the rich countries as well so uh so mm -hmm. you know one of the first things that that the imf does if it if, if, if it's going to restructure a country <laughs> is is uh, put a lot of debt in there uh, yeah, a huge loan it. that you can never pay back yes it's, uh, it's denominated. the same playbook everywhere we've had the united states has ever gone well excuse me the imf not the united states yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. we all do it we yeah, all do world it. bank right yeah <laughs> so yeah so governments could could maybe um yeah, <laughs> you take another scenario by, by taking the Bitcoin route in, instead of the certain death uh, IMF route. But yeah, <laughs> I think that's a big, big step to take uh, for, for governments also in those uh, countries. Okay, so the, then the next question there is, when do we see these smaller governments, oppressed governments, third world, whatever you want to call them? We've obviously seen it with some countries trying to avoid sanctions. When do we see Bitcoin starting to hit the balance sheets of these central banks? Yeah, that question bothers me every every day. It, 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 that's that's one of the that's a key question. I think it's too early now. Although I wouldn't be surprised if some countries are already doing it in secret. Mm -hmm. um, but I it's agree. it's such a such a logical thing to do for countries. So I guess it would be maybe after the next half thing in the in the in the sixth phase, two thousand twenty four, two thousand twenty eight. But it would be such a logical thing to do for for countries that are that already have monetary bases that are much smaller than Bitcoin right now. If your monetary base of your country is less than one trillion U.S. dollars, which is, I think, 130 countries in that yeah. in, in that we, we uh, print that each we we can print that in a day here, no sweat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but those countries, they they would be very it would be very beneficial to them. If they um, adopt the Bitcoin standard, especially if they cooperate, for example, Africa. I mean, in, in the United States, there's uh, more than 50 states cooperating with a, a single currency and, and and trade zone. Same in Europe, with uh, more than 25 countries, uh, uh, euro trade. Zone. Why why don't you do? That? Why would African countries or South American countries not not do that? Do that kind of cooperation, adopt a hard money like Bitcoin. And you would you would be laughing at Europe and U.S. within sure. a couple of years. So sure. I, I'm sure there's people thinking about that in those countries. Yeah, I think in a lot of places, obviously, it would be culturally difficult, um, just because of you know long-standing rivalries and and wars and things like that. But yes, logically, that makes a, a ton of sense if they wanted to compete to adopt the Bitcoin standard and do it amongst many many countries. I'm curious though, you know. 
knowing that uh, central banks will continue to misbehave, that they'll continue to print money, quantitative easing. What is the end game for the dollar specifically? Because it's still the global reserve currency. There still seems to be endless demand for dollars. And, you know, we love the narrative uh, or people seem to love the narrative that it will explode and go to zero and Bitcoin will become the global reserve currency. But do you really see a time when the United States looks like Venezuela? Well, maybe not that, but I, I certainly see a time where the uh, US dollar is not the reserve currency anymore and maybe uh, worth much less than it is today. And and in fact, in fact, that's very logical too, because maybe for non-Americans and especially for Europeans, it's it's a much easier thought than for Americans themselves. Of course. Because because we just went through a, uh, a loss of all national currencies and, and adoption of the euro in, uh, in, in the year 2000. And um, that was, well, not unthinkable, but a very weird thought at the time. And I know it uh, very well because I was at, in a financial function at the time. Right. Uh, but it, it can happen overnight. And it can it takes a, a cooperation between a lot of countries, uh, some uh, clear rules, and then well, tomorrow you'll have a new currency, uh, whatever its name could be the the SDR that the IMF has or the Bancor or whatever. There's also the Chinese, of course, that sure. that are looking at the U.S. with their reserve currencies and all the perks that go with it, and they're not happy with it. So um, I guess in the logical scheme of things there would be a world currency at one day where all the um well now big countries will be uh, uh will will have a table at this at a seat at the table and and including especially including china so i think all the global all the central banks are talking about this particular issue about uh, a new bretton woods moment as they call it i think the uh uh, Mark Carnegie, the 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 UK uh, central banker, talked about it first a couple of years mm -hmm. back, but now everybody is talking about this new uh, Bretton Woods moment, uh, and that and that sort of implies a new world um, currency, a new reserve currency, with a lot of uh, um, yeah winners and losers. Let's let's call it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine them actually successfully pulling that off. But let's uh, live in a live in a world where all the countries of the world come together and come to an agreement on that. What does that mean for Bitcoin in a future like that? I don't know. <laughs> really, I, I don't think Bitcoin. I don't think in the first stage Bitcoin will have a role in that. I think they'll, right. they'll the central banks and the governments will try to keep the control of the money supply. Uh, of course, because that's yeah, their that's, that's what they do. That's, yeah, <laughs> Sole that's their source of income. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Bitcoin will not be a part of that. But all the losers in those systems, it, 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 when a move like that happens, all the losers will fly to Bitcoin. And the losers are always the people with money, right? Uh, the people without money cannot lose anything. So in this kind of transitions, for example, you saw that we saw that with the euro. All the money is in uh, Germany and the Netherlands also, but uh, and and a lot of purchasing power, about 20% was lost overnight in such a move. And people will see that coming uh, months or maybe years beforehand, and they will start hedging, uh, <laughs> which which I think right. they're doing right now, because everybody sure. knows this is coming. And yeah. the current debt, debt mountain is not, not sustainable. So uh, the owners of the debt will, of course, be the losers. Do you think that central banks right now have another option? I mean, I've heard a lot of arguments that, yes, money printing is bad, but what's, what's the other choice, right? Uh, <laughs> you allow deflation, you go into a depression, everybody loses their jobs. So is there an argument? I mean, based on yeah. the current system without changing it, is, do they have another option? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they just um, invent a new money. The, the right. new currency. So they, right. they, they die off the old currency with all the debts and um, and then introduce a new currency. They do that over and over and over so again. So debt's meaningless. That there is the argument people say, why not just uh, keep increasing the debt because it's meaningless? Well, that's mostly government people and yeah, poor people course. saying that. 
uh, and not so much the banks and the insurance companies and the rich right. people that own those debts, right? Yeah, our debts don't disappear. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I always say uh, for every debt, um, uh, someone's debt is another one's asset. It's so and true. So and 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 the ones who own the debt. They're not happy. And for example, the U.S. debt is owned by Chinese uh, government, of course, for, for, for a very big part. And pension funds, the pensioners are the, the, the holders of almost every asset in the, in the world. The, on average, the, the, the young people are poor and the old people are, uh, are rich. So <laughs> the losers in those kind of moves are always the, uh, the pensioners. Well, speaking of pensioners, uh, that's sort of pensions, endowments, that's sort of the wall of money that hasn't entered Bitcoin yet. Um, there's a lot of arguments for why, obviously, maybe they don't want to secure the assets. It doesn't get past the risk management uh, risk management department to have to custody the asset or they're not comfortable with GBTC. Do you think that we will see endowments and particularly pensions entering Bitcoin with say an ETF or some sort of other asset or, or some sort of catalyst? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, there's different kind of pensioners, of course. So if, if you're very rich and you have your own pension, you can just do it yourself, right? You right. can buy Bitcoin. And most millionaires and billionaires are, I think, already a little bit in. Um, I agree. But if, it, but if, if you're a, a pension fund that runs the, the the pension fund of the police or the the... The teachers, or uh, I don't, I don't, a big bank, or something. Then, of course, you're very heavily regulated uh, mm -hmm. with capital uh, regimes that are forcing you to buy uh, debt instruments, government debt instruments, because you have zero capital charge, and they punish you when you buy. Well, <laughs> I don't want to say good assets and performing assets, but but for sure they 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 punish you uh, with large capital charges if you buy Bitcoin, if they even allow it. So uh, with that respect, there was one pension company, one big insurance company in the US that lately- Mass Mutual maybe. Yeah, yeah, Mass Mutual, that was the one that actually pulled it off. So I don't know if they had the permission of the uh, regulators or they just did it and were reprimanded before or, or how the regulators look at that. You, it's a bit quiet at that front, but uh, yeah. that was a very, very interesting move towards a, um, well, normal uh, pension fund or institution that would uh, go into Bitcoin. But, you know, I, I worked at one for uh, almost all my year, <laughs> my uh, professional life, and um, there is so much compliance, legal restrictions, regulators and central banks that, that are trying to stop this that I don't see that happening uh, anytime soon, at least not, not in my country. So are the regulators, do you think, certainly we think about it all the time in the United States, do you think that they're the biggest threat to Bitcoin? And do you think that it's within their power to trigger a black swan event that could really end Bitcoin? Or do you think that now we're outside of their jurisdiction to some degree? No, I think... Uh, and, and most people think this, and I know that from the polls that I did, I think the government and the central bankers are the number one risk for Bitcoin. Um, I don't think they can outright ban it, of course. Uh, and certainly we see regulation instead of banning at the moment in most countries, also in the US, with uh, regulated uh, future exchanges and uh, regulated funds and, and banks uh, going into this. So I see a lot of um uh good moves in in the right direction but i think they could well if they wanted they could tax it like 80 percent. there was some scary uh, uh news flash uh, the other day about that uh which hey, that was fake <laughs> it was janet yellen wants to tax bitcoin uh 80 she never even said <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, but it's small. It's 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 small enough to to uh, still be. Um, they they'll still be able to kill it if they if they really want sure. it. But you know, the good news is I don't think they they are awake yet. They think it's too small. They have their hopes on their own central bank digital currencies, which will uh, of course fail. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so so. Maybe after that, they will they will wake up and be more aggressive uh, towards Bitcoin. 
Do you think that CBDCs will inevitably fail because they're just more fiat currencies in a digital form? Yeah, the, the supply is not capped. It's not scarce. It's not a good store of value. They will uh, control the supply and they will debase it as, as hard, if not if not harder than the, they'll than actually, the Yeah, they'll actually have better control of the supplier. Isn't that, it's kind of their wet dream, right? I mean, yeah. isn't it a central bank's like, yeah. ideal yeah. scenario is digital money? Yeah, so I understand it from their point of view. And, and the, the added benefit is also they bypass governments altogether, right? Because they're now complaining about fiscal policy. They do the mm -hmm. monetary policy and do QE and print trillions and trillions. But the, the government is, is fighting to get the money uh, uh, to the people because they keep it themselves. Of course, they do that all the time. Uh, so they, the central banks are urging the governments to do their part and do the fiscal uh, policies to implement fiscal policies to get the money with the people, but with every stimulus check, you see only ten or twenty percent of the of the QE uh, goes to people. Goes to people, and the rest they uh, they give to their friends and they hold them themselves. So, so with yeah. central bank digital currencies, uh, central banks can bypass the governments and just you can just open a wallet with the central bank, and they say, "Well, here's your twelve hundred or twelve thousand dollars," and uh, success with it. Yeah, they can also say, we want your taxes and just remove it. Yeah, yeah. And, and they can say, <laughs> well, you get the money, but you don't. <laughs> yeah, it's it, right. It's very interesting. Something I'm actually very curious about. Stock to flow obviously works because of the scarcity we've seen. We've talked about how scary accurate it's been and what the predictions are. You just mentioned regulating futures. So bringing futures into the conversation. Derivatives are a massive part of the market. Uh, where do they play into that model? Because obviously there's not necessarily an exchange of the underlying assets. So the scarcity is a little less uh, important, you would think, with the derivatives market. Yeah, so that, yeah, the model is very simple and deliberately so, right? It's, it's a very simple model. Scarcity is the only input. All the other factors that obviously do impact the price, news th uh, items, uh, central bank policies, uh, uh, futures markets, liquidations, foam, everything um, that has an impact on price but but is not in the model is sort of the error of the model, right? It's the, uh, the, the, the price is not tracking the model um, uh, 100%. So the error of the model is, uh, is caused by all those factors that are not modeled, that are not stock to flow. So, uh, and that, and that, and that is, in a way, a bit amazing because stock to flow is uh, is explaining so much of the uh, price already that yeah, all the other factors seem to sort of level out, right? So the, there's positive right. uh, positive factors and negative factors, and and you know I think the scarcity um, is you can sort of argue that the scarcity or the the Bitcoin price, no, let, let's say the scarce, the 21 million, the fact that it's fixed supply, which which has never happened before, not even with gold, right? It's yeah. uh, the, the supply of gold increased uh, 3x uh, the last 100 years uh, with, the, with the increasing price. But it's the first time we have a, a constant in finance, like we have a speed of light in, in, in physics. And that constant um, is very important, I think, that 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 turns the supply and demand game uh, on its head because the supply is fixed and the demand, yeah, well, maybe then price is demand, right? Demand is price. Uh, so in a way, the stock-to-flow model predicts the price, but it also predicts demand. And um, and and then you go, you go to the theory of, of uh, Veblen goods. So a Veblen good, like Gucci bags or, or Lamborghinis, <laughs> Uh, it, it's like it's like a luxury good, a very high quality good, a good something that everybody wants to have. There is dem everybody wants to have it. Why? Because it's scarce. It's scarce, and when the price goes up, the demand increases. Well, right. that's different than what we've been learned at school. So, but there are those goods, and I think uh, Bitcoin is one of those goods. So, the scarcity and um, and the fact that that the price itself is is. Uh, maybe very much correlated to uh, much more correlated to demand than with other goods and positively correlated instead of negatively uh, correlated with uh, 
price. Uh, that that is, I think, the reason why it works so well. The stock to flow model. That's a really interesting idea because then you think about it, sort of all of this derivative trading, all of that is sort of trading around the asset. But when you zoom out the news and derivatives and liquidations and none of that really affects the sort of long-term fundamental model. So it's basically, if you zoom out far enough, it all just becomes noise. Yeah. And, and, and in a way, the derivatives markets are very interesting, right? Because, um, for example, for big institutional investors, if an asset doesn't have a deep liquid, liquid uh, derivatives market, like futures and options, swaps, um, then they will not enter the market. Right, no efficiency. Right. And yeah, yeah, no efficiency and and no entries, no exit points. So, for example, I I would never buy an asset uh, in large amounts, like billions, uh, if I if I only have one asset uh, exit, like uh, an exchange where I can sell the asset and that exchange can be down, like right. uh, some exchanges are at critical moments. So it's very nice <laughs> to have some some other exits, right? So uh, if if you can buy a put option or or a, a sell a future. Uh, and, and and get rid of your exposure in that way. So, and in another way, I think derivatives markets, for example, future markets, are um, broadening the market. So they're attracting more uh, investors than just the buy and hold investors and the spot market investors. Because all the investors that that really like to have leverage uh, are on the one side, and there is a small group. Uh, uh, well. Um, an equally large group uh, at the other side of that trade that accepts less risk and less return uh, against those leverage traders. And those are very distinct groups. You could say those are the institutional investors that are okay with only 20% right. <laughs> return <laughs> and, uh, against the leverage, uh, the 10x, 20x leverage uh, long uh, players. And that's, that's a, a very different mark from the normal spot market. Uh, and and in that way, the, the derivatives marks uh, makes the, makes the total market bigger. Yeah, and, and we also have this unique situation, sort of in Bitcoin, where it's still somewhat inefficient, and there's still these opportunities. That, uh, with everybody with the assumption that price will only go up, you have this cash and carry trade where you could just buy the underlying underlying asset and just short basically any of the futures. <laughs> you take your pick, and it, as it decays, it's effectively free money. It is. It's it's amazing. It's uh, I, I do that trade myself, uh, just like the covered call uh, writing strategy, which which even adds some more uh, upside uh, from the volatility. But yeah, it's amazing. Especially though that, by the way, the cash and carry strategy is a very well known. Um, yeah, it's not unique to Bitcoin. <laughs> no, it's, it's a very simple strategy that that almost all the banks and pension funds and insurance companies know. So. They can they can understand that, and I that's that's where I see some of the interest from institutional players uh, start for this this new asset Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. So we get to two hundred eighty five or 300, 400, 500, retrace to a hundred. Is that it, or do you see million dollar Bitcoin in the future as a real possibility? Oh yeah, for sure. That that's just this cycle, right? That's right. maybe uh, maybe those, those that all time high could be reached this year and the low the year after in 2022, but after that there will be another halving in 2024. So 2025 and and the years after that will be actually much much more interesting uh, than the next two years. And yes, the stock to flow models predict uh, prices from ranging from one million. Uh, from the from the normal stock to flow model to five million for the stock to flow X model. So yeah, my eyes are by the way on those price levels more sure. than on the hundred two hundred eighty eight. So I'm not selling. I'm not maybe maybe some to just Take a survive profit. the bear market. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, five million dollar Bitcoin. I can't. <laughs> I can imagine. I can certainly yeah. imagine it, and I can. I can definitely. Uh, I can definitely hope for it. But I'm curious. You know, we obviously have the fixed supply. We know there will be uh, 21 million Bitcoin. How do we account for all the Bitcoin that's been lost? And do we ever get an accurate calculation of how many have already exited the supply side of the market? Yeah, I, I think there's some some quite useful estimates of indeed three or four million uh, coins lost. Um, huge. 
It's huge. Yeah, yeah. Of course, one million is Satoshi's coins, right? The first one right. million uh, coins. And how do you correct for that in, in analysis? Yeah, that's that's a super interesting question. In the first model, the stock flow model, I corrected for the one million, the first one million Satoshi coins. Uh, I did some, I didn't publish, I tweeted about it at the time. I did some other calculations. So uh, uh, adjusting for the first one million and then uh, a certain percentage every year that uh, totals uh, the three or four million that 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 is the estimate today of lost coins um, and, and calculated a stock to flow model with that. Um, and also uh, I estimated a stock to flow model without any adjustment for lost coins. Basically the parameters change, but the outcome stays, stays the same. Hmm, interesting. So, so the first model had a correction. Currently I, I just leave it out because it, yeah, it alters the model parameters a little bit, but, but it's not really uh, impactful. Listen, I know we're running out of time, but I have to ask you one other thing, which is, and we're recording on May 11th for anyone listening, depending on when this comes out, but what do you make of this absolute explosion in Doge and other meme coins? <laughs> yeah, I, it reminds me of the ICO craze in 2017. Um, every, a lot of companies were, were giving out those, those, those coins as a uh, means of funding, as sort of sh mm -hmm. shares. Right now, it's even more crazy. Uh, I understand it from, it, it's, it's like heaven for traders, right? Uh, sure. Oh. It's a number on the screen. And if it's a number on the screen, you can trade it. And there's stupid money, so you can make profits. Like uh, if you're if you're serious in it, uh, I, I I really have to laugh about uh, Elon Musk though, because he with the Dogecoin, he really <laughs> he's he having really, a good time, he, and he's he, relentless. He's having a good time, and in a way, if he is able to finance all his Mars missions and 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 space programs with uh, the money that flows into that Dogecoin, that's that's sort of. Well, I don't. I don't want to say stupidity tax, but but it's it's a nice way of uh, financing those those projects. And sure. uh, I, I just have to say, be careful with it. Be very very careful because a lot of projects are just yeah started right. as a joke and and <laughs> yeah. But you talk about how it's reminiscent of the ICO bubble, but that was sort of the top for Bitcoin as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um. um <laughs> I'm afraid we haven't seen the top yet. Also I don't think so. I don't think so either. It's just, you know, if you uh, take a step back and you don't understand Bitcoin, I could see how you could look and just see top signals left and right. <laughs> I don't think yeah. it's the top, but like the, the, the behavior that we're seeing, the euphoria, whatever, laser eyes and these coins that have a one quadrillion supply and no market cap going, you know, into the top 15. It's pretty insane. Yeah, to be to be honest, I I think uh, uh, it's not that I hate to see it, but I don't like to see it because it's no. it, it sort of distracts and 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 um, from from the mission, and that is uh, against debasement, against against fiat currencies, and this makes it into a game, into a laughable, easily attackable um right. nonsense thing especially for mainstream media politicians yep. um and and in that way i also see it as an attack vector uh by state actors so it, i think it's confusion and distraction it's it's classical uh psyops and misdirection I, yeah I, i'd rather see it go and and uh a concentration of 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 assets is is always a strategy that's better than divide and conquer and that's what I'm seeing at the moment, divide and conquer. So I hope that goes away, but I don't think it goes away. I don't think so either. It's such easy money for yep. uh, for the for the big players, as you said. But I really oh, I it is unfortunate how much of his distraction is because um, the narrative had really been Bitcoin for a good six months, really ever since Michael Saylor. I think uh, yes. you know Bitcoin has been the core narrative of crypto and it's just not right now imagine if if alan musk would have put his weight and his influence behind bitcoin which is a real invention it it solved the the byzantine's uh, general problem it it combined techniques like peer-to-peer -peer and sha 256 proof of work and 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 uh elliptic curve encryption if he put his weight and, and influence behind that invention instead of this this bullshit, then I think the world would be a better place. But 
I guess he, uh, he just still has hope. his fun. <laughs> There's still hope for him. I mean, you know, Tesla did invest and he has kind of like loosely admitted that he's also invested in Bitcoin. So maybe True. he'll come around. Uh, I'll, keep my, uh, I'll keep my, uh, my hopes up, I guess, in this case. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely uh, loved it. I've been wanting to catch up with you for a really, really long time. So um, where can everybody follow you and keep up and uh, keep up with the stock to flow and see how accurate it is moving forward? Yeah, yeah. I'm on Twitter, um, plan B at 100 trillion USD. That's 100 trillion USD. And I wrote three articles. So if you really want to know more, uh, you can find them through that Twitter side uh, and on my website, planbtc.com. And uh, Scott, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Well, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, the legend Plan B. Thank you very much.